0: I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to use three or four verses of Scripture here to teach on this subject. God's plan for being where He set you. It's kind of a long title, but I'm not a good title giver. God's plan for being where He set you. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Obviously, a body of believers is not a believer, but it's a group of believers, which we believe in a New Testament church are brought together by the leading of the Holy Spirit to assemble together to worship, observe the ordinances, and so forth. Verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. And then in verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Now to set means to place a person or a thing. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you believe that God has by His grace, not only brought you here, but set you here to establish you here. See, I believe we all belong somewhere. I do. I believe that God has a body of believers, maybe a lot of them in one place, maybe a whole lot less in another place. But I believe it's divine direction, the stirring of God to do whatever happens to cause you to go, that there's a place that we all belong and that God puts us there. It hasn't been proven that everybody who says that, well, God brought me here, it hasn't proven that they really did belong there. They weren't really set there. They were not really actually placed by the Lord there. Though they were there, it was not so much something that God did as much as they wanted to be done for themselves. Now, I know that God is in charge. There's no mistakes, that everything happens for a purpose and a reason, and it leads to a conclusion. But let me ask you all a question again this morning. When you came to the body you're in, if you're out there in the electronic world or if you're here today or a visitor, whatever, did God lead you somewhere because of some revelation He gave you about a need in your life? Or did you, as I did, did you move here to flee? I fled to Shelbyville. And in looking at all the options I thought I had about where I could go it turned out that I fled back to the place I had once fled from but I came here to escape I came here to get away from a situation and something that I didn't fit into it wasn't for me I didn't feel my place there I didn't feel like that God had sovereignly set me there I was there for a while I had a reason for being there for a while but that's not where I belong And I came here for that. Or was it, did you come here because where you were before, there was no body of kindred believers? You were kind of alone and searching for somebody to worship with or fellowship with. And you knew that there's more to the Christian life than just being alone and looking for something spiritual to be a part of. We all belong somewhere. It's not always convenient, but we all belong somewhere. Or maybe people left and came somewhere because there was error where they were. You know, they were preaching error. They were against the charismatic experience. Or they were against some things that you thought were very important to you, and they came against you. Or maybe there was just no anointing. Maybe you were in a traditional type church where a preacher was trained to do things a certain way, and he knew no more to do than that, and and it was somewhat dead. Or maybe it was a church that had Ichabod written on it. You know, the Lord is not there. I mean, they act like He's there and they do all the singing and all of that, but there wasn't anything there. Or maybe it was some controversy again. Maybe you were singled out in the sermons every Sunday because of your speaking in tongues or because you believe in the gifts of the Spirit or you cast out a demon. I've been there. And the reputation for doing such things that nobody else knew what you were talking about was such that you became scorned. People scorned you for that. And so you had to escape that because it was not a free place to live. Just constantly in turmoil. You had to get away from there. A lot of people leave and go places like that. I think God can stir up a nest. God can stir up a complacency and cause you to see there is a need for more in your life than what you have or than what you're getting. And I believe God can move us around and stir us up that way. Maybe it was a lack of godly leadership. Maybe it was just a a form and formality is all it was. Fear of being controversial, a fear of taking a stand over certain issues that would cause you to come under critical attack. I've had people in my life say they were going to stay in churches that were either dead, dying, or in error. They were going to stay there to win them to Christ. I don't believe that. If they have a form... Of Godliness, But they deny the power thereof, the Bible says, from such turn away. But people have reasons for not wanting to be uprooted and move and leave. It's not comfortable. You know, this church is basically people that have moved here. There's very, very few people here that lived here when this whole thing got started. And many of those who were here have already left. There's a few left. But almost everybody here came here from somewhere. I did. Most of you did. We moved here. We had a reason we moved here. There was some need in our life to leave where we were and to come here. We just needed to escape, perhaps. But we're here. And many of us have found that when God sets you somewhere, it's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient at first. I mean, look around. We really didn't know each other when we came here. One came from the far end of the country that way one down yonder, one way over there and one down here and we got the south and the north and in between mixed and we were this way and that way but we all felt like God brought us here and I have to believe that staying here we have to believe that God set us here or He, in the sense of setting He set us here He placed us here for a reason that He had a plan specifically for us here as His people in His body. Now, this is not the only body of believers around, but every local assembly is called the body of Christ. A lot of people use the word body of Christ as a universal term for the whole world. You know, the great body of Christ. But a body of Christ is really a local assembly term for local believers. We're a body here. There might be another body over there and out there, but this for us is the body of Christ. This is where I belong. This is where the Lord has sent me, and it has turned out well for me. Because there were times I thought, I think I'm going to catch a hat. Most people don't know what that is today because... Most people never take their hats off. Men don't. They wear them everywhere. But there was a time when you walked into a place, you took your hat off, and you hung it up. When you got ready to leave, you got your hat back. So whatever the reason was that we wound up here, from wherever you folks came from, you basically came here because you had a need. If the need was big enough for you to leave whatever you had, whatever you had established, some of you quite a bit. And you were willing to go somewhere and literally start from scratch. That's how great the need was. Many others who wanted to do that didn't have that great a need. They wish it was like conviction versus preference. I would prefer to have all that. I wish I was there, but I am not convicted to leave and do that. And I have found in my lifetime that people who were stirred up to leave and to go somewhere, wherever it is the Lord directed them, or they felt like they should go, the more they prolonged that decision and held back, the less likely they were to ever do that. And they stayed where they were and became pretty much like everything else there. I think that's somewhat of a tragedy also because it could have been better There is a cost to everybody to do what's right. It always costs us something to make right decisions. But you get paid back in blessings. And God makes it better in the end than you thought it was ever going to be. He makes us to come to the places where He brought us out to a good place. But there's a struggle. There's a time you go through and difficulty you have to deal with. But God is faithful And He never leads you somewhere, He's going to forsake you. And where He leads you, He's there going to change you. Let me give you some things today about God's plan for your life. And let me begin with the one basic essential need that anybody has to have when you go anywhere. If anything spiritual is going to happen to you, you must have this particular characteristic. It's called commitment. There has to be from you a commitment, let's call to that body, that body that God put you in. Remember, it's His body. He didn't bring you here to be a spectator. Nobody was sent here to be a spectator or a reporter. He didn't bring you here to sit in the stands while others run the race. He brought you here to be a part, to be involved. Not to rule, not to reign, just to be involved, to be a nobody. With all of our background, you know, you come here, you're not here to let everybody know how great you are. You're here to be a part, to fit in, to be a, a wheel or a, a thumb or an arm or a nose or an eye, as he says in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, I want to be a part of this body that's God is working in and working through, sometimes slower than I'd like for him to. Sometimes it's wonderful what I see happening in people's lives. But I want to be a part of that myself because he requires that from us. And by commitment, we mean things like dedication. This is important to you being here. It is important to me because this is the call on my life and it is necessary for me. To be here. If I am anywhere else, I am only there momentarily for I belong here, especially on the days that we have called assemblies. It's what I am called to do. It's a commitment that I make, and I'm not looking for praise and honor, and you know that. It's just a commitment I make. You should have a similar commitment. When God brings us together, it is important for me to be there. And it's not to be there to say, yeah, yeah, it's there to say, God, open my eyes again and open my ears that I may hear what you're saying and what you're having me to know. To be committed to something is really to place your trust in something. I'm believing that God, I have to believe this. I have to believe that when we meet, in spite of how a message sounds or turns out, I have to believe that God anoints it to somebody. That God can make the words spoken mean something different than the way they were spoken. When Paul said, My speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Remember that? He said, But my speech and my preaching were in demonstration of the Spirit and power. That is, God takes somebody with not necessarily great vocal communication skills and causes them to be heard an imitator of a preacher can preach the same sermon that a great man preached but there's no results people get little or nothing out of it really have a hard time paying attention to it but when you speak something that is directed by the Lord something you've said before but something that God anoints people listen Remember when Jesus spoke, they said he spoke as one having authority? There was something special there. It's amazing to me that God can take ordinary people, I've known a lot of them, ordinary, simple people with all their hang-ups and all their problems. It's like a commercial I heard when I was a kid. Allow me. Those of you that have really white hair will have heard this. Brill cream, remember that? Brill cream, a little dab will do you. Brill cream, you'll look so debonair. That's a crossword puzzle word. you look so debonair. Brill cream, the gals will pursue you. Simply rub a little in your hair, something like that. Well, I probably should have used brill cream, but I'm glad I turned out with the one I got. But he said, Brill cream, a little dab will do you. That's in a similar sense That's true in the church. All it takes is a little dab from God. The word anoint means to rub in. That's what the word literally means. And when God touches anybody, the least of you, the ones who say, oh, I can't do that, I can't. God can touch whoever he chooses to touch in any particular place he wants to touch them and causes their words to have meaning and impact. Now, we want to bronze them after that and put their picture on the wall because, oh, look. But you fail to see it's just an ordinary human being that God uses. It's the anointing that does all the work. I mean, Luke 17, 10, we are still unprofitable servants. We haven't done anything. We've only done what the dab enabled us to do. One of the things that commitment does is bring us together with anticipation, I am anticipating that God who brought me here is teaching me here and is leading me here and is going to equip me here and prepare me here and so forth me here. Therefore, I believe that whoever he puts there to do the talking, God will anoint that person and I'm going to benefit from it. So I'm looking for God to do something. Now, when you come to the meeting, when you come to that body that God puts you in and set you in as a vital part. When you come there with your arms folded, you're busy, had a long day, and that happens. I mean, I'm not saying this is wrong. It does happen. And it's been a difficult time. You've had some things on your mind. You don't know what to do about it yet and all that. And you come to church and the preacher just hammering away. You need to come with the idea of listening because God in all of the hammer may have a solution for you. You come to listen because it would be real frustrating if you were a pastor or a preacher or the communicator if you came to a church that was full of people who weren't even that interested in what you're going to say because it's very very hard to teach remember Paul said one time in Hebrews 5 he said there are things about Melchizedek that I would love to tell you about. But he said, I cannot because you're what? You're dull of hearing. That's one of the great sorrows in the church today as far as missing out and missing what God is saying. Because when you start missing what God is saying and you get very ordinary in the way you listen, you soon lose interest in where God sent you. And it's only a matter of time before you look for something else because you're not getting much out of this. If you don't put much in, you don't get much out. I mean, a lot of folks that I have known, oh, God sent me here. They're not here today for various reasons. Because you'll find out just how much of you is engaged with the Lord where He set you over a period of time. The first month or two, you're climbing the wall. woo Praise God has never been as good in my life. Well, in one year from now, I want to hear you say that again. Because there comes that slow time and when you really have to fight and you really have to lay hold and you really have to, as David did at Ziklag in 1 Samuel 30, you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. We all have to. And of course you pray and you expect God to do something. But turn to Psalms 37 and verse 5 for just a moment about this word commitment. Psalms 37 and verse 5. Psalms 37 and verse 5 tells us to commit our way to the Lord. Does it say that? Somewhere in that verse. To commit thy way to the Lord. Now that is wherever you are, whoever you are, whether you're in no church or in a big church. We are individually, personally required to commit our way unto the Lord. That's a decision that I have to make that nobody else can make for me. You might have been born in this church. You didn't come here. You were born here and you've had no say in the matter. You just grew up here. But one day you have to realize that you have to commit your way to the Lord. As well as where the Lord puts you. You can say I'm committed to the Lord but only in the big church. My name is written in heaven. I'm going to heaven. I don't need to go to church every Sunday. I don't need to be here. I don't need to be there because I go. No. God puts you in the little church. The local church. You belong here. And you gotta commit your not only yourself but your way, because your way includes where you worship. Now, the word commit means to roll thy way. Literally, it means to roll thy way upon the Lord. Let me show you a picture here. You all gonna enjoy my drawing? My way, it's like a big wheel. And this is me. Can you all see that? It's just as good if you don't. That's okay. This is my way. I'm going through life. It's not easy. It's not just a piece of cake. You have to work at it all the time. You have to deal with things, work at things, struggle with things. And we ask God to bless us as we roll our wheel through life. Make it work for me, Lord. And God says, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare for you one of these things. It looks something like this. Does anybody know what that is? Is that a trailer? This is you rolling your way. This is what God's provision is for you and your way. It is not within a man who walketh to direct his steps. But the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God will direct his way. But only if his way becomes... God's way so Psalm 37 verse 5 says roll thy way upon the Lord I think didn't 1st Peter chapter 5 cast all your care upon him for he careth for you doesn't it say that now that's a decision you have to make everybody in this room wrestles with something nobody is left out you wrestle with something, you have arranged to wrestle with things, or you just wrestle with things. You're a businessman, you're a wife, husband, you got a job, or going through some things, or God has taught you some things you didn't know what to do with, and now you're trying to please God and do things right. You're wrestling with something. But the only way you'll see the victory come, as well as the only way you'll find what God sent you here to find, is if you commit your way to the Lord. Now, if you don't do that, you will indeed waste a whole lot of your time sitting here waiting for God to do something and it never happens. We are here for a reason. There's a purpose in me being here. How many of you know that rolling up this ramp is not easy? I just can't do it. You can do all things through. You'll find there's a Another somebody with you helping you, and you push. Oh, I can't do it. I try to. Get. There's somebody back there with their finger just pushing just enough to make it keep going. Just a little bit. You oh, just keep going. It's moving. It's, it's moving. It's moving. And he just pushes a little bit more, so you don't give up and quit. For God shall supply half of. Your, I mean, that's right. All of your need, and one of your needs is cast all of your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. Without this, trust me with this. If you don't do this, nothing spiritual will happen. You will end your life with many questions that you can't answer. Somewhat frustrated, but I came here and I didn't get healed. I didn't get this. I didn't. And you will realize that you put very little into what you're doing. Because I can look around at people that really put their heart and soul in what they believe God wants them to do and the way He wants them to be and to begin to unhook from selfishness and begin to love other people and care about other people and help other people and do unto others as you want people to do for you. You get a lot of chances to do that in a body of believers. Because God always shows somebody with a need. And He quickens your heart to say, why don't you help them? You've got to commit yourself to a willingness to do that. Because without commitment, I don't know that anything is ever going to happen like you really want it to happen. Commitment. Now, don't answer me here, but how many of you can say I'm committed to this assembly, a Shelbyville Christian Assembly? I'm committed to being here. I'm committed to being active here in what we do. I'm a part of it. I'm committed to attendance. When we meet, I'll be here. I'll stop whatever else I'm doing or I'll make other arrangements because I'm going to be here. You know, of times you can't. I know that. I'm committed. I'll support it. I know their needs and I'm going to do my part. That's commitment. What about commitment? This isn't easy for me to say, but what about commitment to the pastor? And I don't mean to hand me your wallet and your pocketbook when you come in the door and let me get what I want. But how about just respect? Now, I get that. Don't take me wrong. I don't know anybody in the world I'd trade places with in any church on the globe. Because sometimes I feel like I found me a haven of rest right here in Shelbyville. It wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. I think that anybody that goes anywhere is not there to analyze and do the preacher. We're not supposed to carve him up after church and have him for lunch. I don't ask anybody to agree with me. I don't want anybody criticizing me either. And one goes with the other one. I don't ask anybody to dot their eyes and cross their T's the way I do or see everything exactly the way I do. But you're not free to go out and criticize either. I mean, you really don't belong there then because you're not trying to be a helpful part. You're tearing something down. And God hates division. Commitment. I've got to have this commitment thing before these other things are going to come to pass the way they're supposed to. If I am unwilling to commit myself fully to this assembly as a part, believing God set me, it was His will to set me here. And being set here, the Bible has a lot of things that describe the way I should function and be as a member of this body. Now, if I'm unwilling to do those things and commit my way to the Lord, then our time in this assembly is going to be futile. I don't know how many ministers, I had some facts one time, some statistics once of how many ministers after they got out of school they were assigned to church or somebody came and asked them to come and preach and and they began to go and and do what they were trained to do. And the average lifespan of a ministry was like three or four years. That's all they could take because people in the church instead of being a helpful part begin to try to rule you and demand of you and tell you what to do and tell you how to come and tell you how to go tell you where to live tell you what you got to do if you want to go on vacation we'll tell you when you can go I don't know that that's the way it ought to be I know it isn't but you can see where a person can be overwhelmed like that having all these ideas of a nice big parsonage and lots of loving people, fried chicken in somebody's house every Sunday or lasagna, either one (laughs) and come to find out after two or three years and all the new wears off, you're just viewed as a let's get somebody else people's commitment to an assembly becomes entertainment make us feel good, make us feel better, make us Laugh. Tell us we're perfect. And if you do that, we'll keep you. And their commitment is to themselves. It's to make me, me. So that I can jerk off my shirt at night and the S is still on my chest. Superman. Make me like that. But we all have needs. That's why we're here. Let me give you some of those needs. I'm going to have two of them today and two of them next week as far as I know. Two outstanding needs as to why I'm here, why you're here, why he brought us here, if he brought us here. And having been brought here, these are the reasons, one of them, that he brought you here. One is to learn by hearing. To learn by hearing. I say by hearing because in a New Testament assembly, there is usually a pastor or an elder or a teacher or somebody who is looked up to by the rest of that assembly to lead them and make decisions. Now, he may draw from the wisdom of a lot of other people and do what they think because they had a better idea. But somebody still has to be accountable for the people. You know what I mean? Somebody has to give an answer for the souls of the people here. And the Bible says that the leaders, the pastors, the elders, the episkopos, the poimenos, and the presbyteros, <laughs> they all have to give an account... For the people's lives. That's why it says in Hebrews 13 to honor those that have the rule over you. doesn't mean rule with force. It means rule by consent. You let them happen. You came here not to rule, but to be ruled. So long as it's scriptural. And so we came here to learn by hearing. I can read a book. I can listen to a tape. But well, that's still by hearing. People think they don't need anybody to teach them. I can teach myself. Well, God didn't send you here to stare at a picture. Somebody has to talk. It doesn't mean somebody knows more than you. Again, back to that. It doesn't mean somebody has excessive amounts of wisdom or knowledge. But that we are all depending on, as we study, as we learn, as we seek after God, that we believe that what God gives us will be directed by the Holy Spirit to the lives of the people, and they will be affected by it. That's what we have to believe. But we have to learn because there is such value that God puts on the Word. He honors His Word in Psalm 138. God honors His Word even above His name. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Would you turn for a moment back to the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 32. And verse 46 and 47. In verse 46, Moses' final speech. This is before he climbs the hill and goes to be with God. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day. Now he is speaking, they are listening, and he says, Set your hearts. It is with the heart man believes and it's in the heart. The psalmist said, You hide His word. Thy words have I hidden in my heart. Without the heart, it's nothing but a dead letter. But He said, Set your hearts into all the words which I testify among you this day, which you shall command, while command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. And these... Special words, for it is not a vain thing for you. You're not wasting your time doing this. It looks like it. They don't seem to respond. But it is not a vain thing for you because... What do the next four words say? It is your life. What if I told you today that God gives us His Word as words of life? you know nothing about God or nothing about what God is doing, nor sure ever of His direction without words. He never does anything outside of His Word. We are all little vessels that were made to contain His Word and to be ruled by the Word. His words, as He said in John 1, are life. And He says it here in the Old Testament. He said, "...for it is your life." And for those who can receive it, he said, for it shall prolong your days in the land. What does that mean? You'll live and not die. You'll die at the proper time, but you don't die before the proper time. That's what I would assume it means. Is there anybody here that doesn't want to prolong his days? Well, I, maybe, I don't know. But he said, it is not a vain thing. Go to the middle of your Bible, the book of Proverbs, slightly to the right of middle, and find Proverbs. And look in Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's what he said while ago. It's all about your heart. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add unto you. Do you want that? Let me ask you a question. Is this something we can teach? Is this something that a man's heart ought to have? I don't think every Christian's heart has the reality of this in that heart. They might have heard this with their head. I don't think their heart's embraced it. Should we not teach it so you can? So that you can live every day having the expectation that God will prolong your life and give you peace? length of days, long life, and peace, then I could say this about faith. If God is going to give me long life, then I don't need life insurance. Why would I need life insurance when God says, I'll give you long life? Psalm 91, with long life I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. All His saving ways and the abundance that goes with it, He said, I'll show it to you. If you do what He said, Shouldn't we teach what He said? Should we not with our mouths say what God said? Even though when we say it, sometimes, boy, He's mean. He's hard. He's narrow. Phew, He's hard. I've had people say that to me before because I said what God said. See, people don't mind hearing the words of God is when you explain what they mean, that they, they think you're hard. I believe God. You know what believe means? I just mentally agree with the fact that he is. Well, the devil does that. What? You know what believe means? Believe is an act. It's a decision that you make to take God at his word. Act like it's true. It's an action. To live as though what you heard is true. You won't let go of it. Because you're convinced, or as it said to Abraham, you're persuaded that it's true. And you hold on to it. Should I teach that? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we labor in the Word? Bible teaches that. Laboring in the Word and doctrine? That's New Testament for the leaders. It's so essential and so necessary. You must spend your time and energy finding out what it means and then sharing it with the people. They don't want to hear it. Christians aren't noted for their desire to be taught and sit in here and listen to a preacher for an hour and 12 minutes and so many seconds. Wherever how long I'm accused of preaching, I hope I'm guilty. Christians have just come to take God for granted. God sent me here so I can... Sing them over again to me, lovely refrains of love. That's all. And you walk out of here, and the devil makes a fool of you. You don't know how to fight the good fight of faith. You don't even know what a trial is. You can't stand your own ground. You can't even teach your children. They follow your example. They're the same way, and I try to teach them. It's hard. It's hard. We labor in the Word. We pound the pulpit. We keep pushing the Word in there because God sent us here to get this Word in our hearts. Because that's where it does its work. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not offend you by doing something else or sin against you. The Word. We labor in the Word. We should. We should study it. We should make it the basis for what we're doing. It should be the reason that we are here or there or buying or selling or not or, or whatever. We should hide the Word in our hearts. We should study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen who needeth not to be embarrassed and ashamed because we don't know what the Word says. Oh, I can't quote the Bible. Time out. This means time out. I can't quote the Bible. How many phone numbers do you know right off the top of your head? How many birthdays with phone numbers do you know right off the top of your head? You don't have to pull a piece of paper out and say, the Birthday's here, I've got a list of them. Women know every one of them. <laughs> they know the hour of the birth. They know how old your children are by how old their children are. I'll say, now that one, uh, she was born right after uh, somebody, that would be been 19. Yeah. They even know the month. Women know Volumes of things without help, except how to quote John three sixteen. And I'm not saying women; all of us for that. Women are mighty in God. It's men that are problems. Okay, now we're all right. (laughs) But that's why He sent us here to learn by hearing. If I wasn't supposed to speak, then there would be no reason for you to be here. but I'm here to say something. I am required to say something. I am required to do things about what I said. I've had to make a lot of decisions here as a pastor. I made some bad ones, made some bad ones, and a few good ones because I had good advice. We still have to do it. But we learn. We learn because... We are taught, and somebody teaches us. Proverbs 4 and verse 22. Are you Proverbs 4? Let me read this one while you're getting there. My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul. That's Proverbs 3 again. That's verse 21 and 22. Then in Proverbs 4, he says this, as we're all familiar with this concerning the words in verse 22 for they are life unto whom for those that find them and health to all their flesh should we teach that should we not make that a vital thing I want you all to live long I hope we never ever ever in the history of this assembly never have another funeral Never, not another one. Everybody just lives until Jesus comes. Be a hundred, whatever we are old. You might be surprised. It might be in a couple weeks. Maybe after a while, I don't know. I just pray that we get so full of the knowledge of the Word, not to be puffed up by it, so that look what I know, but to be grateful for what it's done in your life. That it has rescued you. It has kept you from error. Is kept you from making decisions that are not good decisions because the entrance of His Word. People don't have that. They do a lot of foolish things. They have no discernment. There's people going to be playing the Santa Claus thing this week, this month, next month, the Christmas thing, the pageantry, the idolatry the uselessness and the vanity of all of that, and they're going to do that as though it's a God-centered, God-ordered holiday. And essentially, it has nothing to do in the Bible with God at all. Nothing at all. It was the invention of man a long time ago in history, church history. And it had nothing to do with a word from God. And Christians just don't do that. People say to me, Merry Christmas. I just thank you and walk on. I know they meant that. I'm not going to say, I rebuke you. I don't do that. I just say thank you and go on. You can't explain stuff like that. This time of year, you're going to try to explain away what they're all owing the world for? They're in debt over their heels by January because of this ho, ho, ho spirit. I just go on and say thank you. Thank you. I don't say Merry Christmas to you either because I don't believe in that. They said to me, well, Merry Christmas, Brother Tom. Thank you. They meant that. They meant that. Well, they didn't mean that to embarrass me. Thank you. What's old Santa Claus going to bring you? I remember one time, one of my children, some lady in Muncie, Indiana, Bonnie was at a ladies' meeting, a women's meeting. Bonnie always wanted to be a preacher. (laughs) Actually, she didn't. One of my kids, we were sitting there, and a lady said, through this little boy of mine. What's old Santa going to bring you? Turn around and look at that woman. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, not him. Oh, no. He turned around he looked at her and said, he's a demon. <laughs> I did. I thought, oh, no. And she looked back at me and said, who told you that? And I thought, come on, kids, we got to get her. Let's go get her. Kid. <laughs> He didn't point to me. He pointed up like that there. Then, but that time I had them putting coats on them. They weren't even through eating food, falling out of the mouth. Come on, we're leaving. You know. <laughs> we are taught the right way to go, and sometimes it gets humorous like that. It didn't cost you much. Sometimes you really get fussed at, and and you don't believe in God. Well, yeah, I believe in God. You don't, and uh, you know all of the, all the rest of that. I'm not against people that want to do that. If they want to do that, that's fine. They can dress up on Halloween and look like the devil himself. That's their business. But it's not for me. And it's not for us as an assembly of believers. You may struggle with that, and maybe you got a Christmas tree in your attic with the door shut. But I think you'll get rid of it after a while. You have time. You do have time. I want you to make good decisions because of what's in your heart and not because of what I tell you to do or what you think we're all supposed to do. I've seen people throw away their glasses because other people threw theirs away. Well, you don't throw them away. They'll think you're not in the faith. Well, you're not anyway. If you're trying to imitate other people, you're trying to act on their faith, not your own. Why should you be afraid of me? Romans 14, have your faith to yourself. We're not your judge. God's your judge. You live your life. You count the cost yourself here. I don't command anybody to do this or that, but I think after a while, after you've been here for 15 years, you need to get rid of your Christmas tree because you're dragging your feet for some reason. But anyway, we teach because teaching helps change things. Find Second Timothy chapter 4. Listen at these words, which uh, hopefully you're all familiar with also. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Concerning the word, he said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Not preach your ideas, not preach the mechanics of a new movement. Preach the Word. Now, we talked about that a little bit last week about darkness and light. The Word is light. Preach the Word. And he goes on. Be instant in season and out of season. Instant here means that the preacher should be constant in his duty. Literally, to stand by or to stand fast. Preach the Word. Be instant, in season or out of season. Don't let people control you. Don't be afraid to open your mouth because of somebody who's there or what somebody will think of you. Preach the Word. It is God who will take care of you. It is God you must answer to. And the only thing that God will honor in people's lives is His Word. Preach the Word. He said, be instant in season and out of season. Notice these words. He said, reprove. And rebuke with all longsuffering and doctrine. That's what we labor in. For the time will come. We're in it right now. And this has been true for a lot of people who thought this is where God sent them. And they got away from it. And the one thing they've left out of their life is doctrine. And they've looked for a nice place to go where they can just recover from this place. I've heard that. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they will turn away from light or truth and shall turn aside to darkness. As Jesus said in John 1, men love darkness. They had this testimony. They love darkness better than light. There was more joy in darkness than there was in light for a lot of folks. Paul wrote back in First Timothy chapter 4, just go back one book. In chapter 4, in verse 13, concerning the importance of the word to this apostle and to his subject, Timothy. He said, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. These are things you say, you speak. I don't know. Personally, I don't know. When people follow jobs, I don't know. I remember a certain place, a certain pastor, uh, had two of his key people in his church. They had good jobs with a big, major company, and the company was wanting to move them to another part of our country, a long way away, a couple thousand miles away, to be a part of a company that needed their expertise. Key members of the church, leaders, Elders or deacons and key men. The kind of men that a pastor, I'm glad I got people like that I can talk to and turn to. We all need that. And so they got the job. So they wrestle with the job of a pay increase of like thirty or forty thousand more a year to go down wherever they were going. Or stay there. And who knows what might happen to their job there. See, the question comes. This is not easy. I've never had to do this, so it's easy for me to say this, but I've never been here, so I'm sure it would be hard if I were. Do you stay here because you believe God set you here, or do you go there for the sake of providing better for your family? And hopefully there's a church there that you can find and you can attend. Do you believe that that's the way God set you in a church? You're not going there because of the leading of the Lord. You're going there because of money. You can't serve both God and money. One of them will always fail you. The other one will always keep you. But that's a decision you have to make. You know, while I was here, I never, I don't think I've ever shared this with you all, but there was a church years back that asked me if I would be their pastor. I thought at a time when, how do I escape? And I looked at where I was and I thought, if you were here with what you believe and what they can receive, you wouldn't last a month. And then you'd be on the street with a can somewhere, a little tin cup. So I thought, no, I'm going to just stay where God put me. And you know what? He makes it work. He makes it work. Work. In spite of all the guilt and all the conviction that you feel, which is good, He makes it work. Because the thing that is vital and necessary, but the thing that offends so many people, is the Word. It's the Word of God. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter three, eighteen, it said, We all beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord, as we behold, as we behold, should not you then be given something to think about when you assemble? Should there not be hopefully some measure of conviction about something in everybody? You know, I preach these things and I get convicted. I say a whole lot of things I've never thought of. And it comes out of my mouth. I thought, oops, I need to hear (laughs) who me. Why am I saying that about myself? But I'm here too. We're all here. We need this to grow. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And hopefully you get that and you don't stop there because those who use only milk, Hebrews 5 says, are still babies. You're not maturing. If you're not maturing, you don't make good decisions. and You do squabble with each other, and you do fight, and you do backbite, and you do talk about and you do little, little, little. But when you begin to grow up, you get over all of that. You see past that. God convicts you and deals with you and chastises many times for that. Your commitment will be challenged. Did God set you here? Did He? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure it was the leading of the Lord that brought you here? And having been brought here, do you have the witness in your heart that God has planted me here and placed me here and it's here that I'm going to grow? It is here that I'm going to learn the truths and I'll be warned of error. I will maybe draw upon experiences that others have had and and I'll heed what they say about wolves and sheep's clothing and about seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and maybe they'll be pointed out to me what some of these doctrines are, and then when I hear them, I won't believe them. This is good for you. It takes years to teach all of this. I've shared before with others who've come back from these missionary journeys. Some of these folks in some of these Latin countries are so steeped in traditions and superstitions It would take a long time. I could see how Paul, in traveling to all these places where there was so much idol worship, how he used the word labor in teaching and pointing out to these people what they were doing was wrong and why it was wrong, and then leaning on them hard. Two or three years at Corinth. And still they had their problems. It's not easy to teach people in this hour because you have options. The devil gives you substitutes and options. And we often compare what God says with what people are doing in other places. And we want what they have. That's why Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like the heathens. We want a king. We don't want Eli's sons. They were base kids anyway, what they did. They don't want Eli's kids. We want a king. God said, all right, you're going to get one, but you wish you hadn't. So they gave him Saul. The people just want something besides God. And I do believe that one of the things that the unction of God is for is to point out to you there is no other way that's right but God's. That's so narrow. It is supposed to be narrow. Remember, Jesus said only a few people are going to make it. Are you one of them? Boy, well, I hope so because we certainly can be, only a few are going to make it. That's what Jesus said. But one of the very best in the whole Bible, in the whole New Testament, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. This is one of the greatest, most magnificent promises in the New Testament. There's a lot of them. I think the word precious sounds more like a girl's word, but I can think of no promise more precious than this one. From me as a pastor to you as people. He said in verse 14, don't neglect the gift that is in you. Verse 15, meditate upon these things. Give yourself totally to them so that the change it makes in your life will be seen by others. Your profiting will appear to all. They'll see that it works for you. It works. You live it. It works. Verse 16, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and who else? Is that what it says? Them that hear thee? Does it? Now, does the New Testament then tell me if we will meditate on the word, ponder the word, digress, think about, deal with, and assimilate and all. Put the word as God shows it to you. Give the Holy Spirit a chance to put that in your heart. And the doctrine, is doctrine important? What's right and what's wrong? As we meditate on these things, and then obviously proclaim it. People don't like doctrine, but it doesn't matter if they like it or not. God didn't send you here to feed you what you want. He brought us here for what we need as you do this and you give this to the people, here's the promise that God gives to the people as well as the one who's willing to do it. He said, Take heed unto yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, if you do this, when you do this, in doing this, you not only will save yourself, Now, tell me what's better than that. Tell me, anybody, give me any gift, any moment, anything better than being saved. When Jesus comes, I go. When you die, you go. Whenever it's over, you pass from to. Death is no longer victorious. You win because of your willingness to take God at His word, do what He said, and teach it. Wow all those that hear it. Look at how many don't want to hear it. Nah, I don't want to I heard that before. I've heard all of that. You know what? I have too. But I'm not convinced everybody believes it, so I'm going to say it again. You said that last week. I'm going to say it again. Probably say it next week because you know what the rumor is about me. Same old, same old. And I didn't apologize for that. God watches over one thing in life to perform and that's the movements of man no 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 it's the word of God God is not a man that he should lie neither the son of man that he should repent if he said it he'll do it if we believe it he'll do it you save not only yourself I want to be saved I want to make it all the way through to the end and get out of here in good standing well done thou good and faithful servant I want him to say the same thing to you and your children how do we do this? How can this happen? How can we be assured of this? What does your Bible say? You saved not only yourself, but who else? All them that hear you. I cannot offer you this morning anything better than that. There is nothing that I can tell you this morning... There's healing gifts, and there's all kinds of wonderful answers to prayer and and moments of elation and joy and finding this and discovering that. But in the end, these things are all temporal. Are you with me? Your healing is temporal. All the gifts are temporal. It's all over. When you go from here to there, the only thing that lasts and continues on is love because God is love. Faith and hope are for this life. You won't need it there. It'll be realized there. And you'll find that in the environment of God, everything beyond what eye has seen and ear has heard, everything that's beyond your best day and your best thought, your best moment, the best sermon, the best hour in the church, the best anything you've ever... God has superseded that. He has done exceeding above that. And you know why people get to... Be involved in that because they made a good decision in this life to hear the Word and to preach the Word. Isn't that amazing? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful and we are thankful this morning that we are here that we could make it here. That you have brought us here. And Lord, I trust that we can all say you have set me here. And you inspire me here. I am encouraged and taught here. And therefore, I am grateful here. We give you thanks this morning that such as us have been brought out of the Dirtiest and nastiest clay in this world. You have cleansed us with your word and set our feet upon a rock. You establish our going. You have put a new song in our mouth. It's even praise unto you. May we never take for granted or take lightly the wonder of it all and the peace and joy that we have. May this day we have that time alone. Just to say thank you, Lord, for bringing me here, for letting me be a part of what you're doing here. May I be committed to what you sit me here for. Maybe you can pray that. May the Lord bless you if you do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.